If you'll find your place in your Bible, it's Psalm 142. Psalm 142. And I'm going to give you something to take away with you today as you leave. I'm not going to put it in your hands. You have to go ask for it. And I'll tell you more about that as we go through. And then as we conclude this service, as I've already mentioned, we will observe the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read just one verse, though we're going to end up looking at a larger context. Just one verse by way of us beginning today. Verse 4. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. It's that last phrase I want you to focus on. No one cares for my soul. I hope that before we leave, no matter what your translation may say or how your translation may give that section of verse 4, I hope that what will be burned into your heart is that little phrase, no one cares for my soul. And you'll think about it with me today. This past week, my family and I were enjoying some time together in the Smoky Mountains. It's the first time we've been able to be together at Christmas in five or six years. And we enjoyed immensely that time that we were sharing with one another, being with our grandson that lives out in Dallas, Texas, and of course with our grandchildren that are here. I think our children were there, but I'm not sure. Uh, Our grandchildren were there. That was all that really mattered. But we had a wonderful time being able to spend time together as a family. While we were sitting in the living room, this big great room, the kitchen, the dining room, the uh, sitting area were all open to one another, so there was no division, there were you know, no small rooms where you go into and out of in this particular area of the house where we were staying. We were all sitting in that room, all nine of us, in different areas of that room. There was conversation that was going on, you know, different conversations going on in different parts of that room, and the TV was playing in the background. It was on the animal channel, the what do they call the Animal Planet channel, I believe is what they call it, and it was what was on, and uh, in the background, there was, no, there was no volume to it. It was just something that was in the room with us, and suddenly, they brought up a commercial from the ASPCA, this, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and it showed various animals that were being mistreated, had been neglected, who were being starved, and you saw the pictures of these animals, and it was so, you know, so disturbing that many of us, most of us, turned our heads away. We didn't want to have to look at those animals and the way they were being treated, the way they were being mistreated and neglected. And we just couldn't, couldn't bear looking at it. You, know, you don't want to mistreat your, your pets, do you? You don't want to mistreat the animals that God has given to you and you have in your home if you have them. You want to take care of them, but we were disturbed by those images. Of course, the purpose of those images was to evoke from the people who were seeing them a concern and a care and ultimately to raise money to help with rescuing abused and neglected animals. But as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but wonder what it would take today for me to evoke from you some emotion to cause you to recognize how people are hurting in our world and how people are in desperation in the world in which we live. How there are so many people who feel as if they are abandoned, as if they're unloved, they're lonely, and they wonder to themselves, 
Does anybody really care? We ask that about animals. Does anybody care about these animals? Even more important, we should be asking the question, does anybody care about the people that are in the networks around my life? Does anybody care? And sadly, the cry of too many people today is the cry of the psalmist David when he cried out, no man cared for my soul. These words were written by David while he was in a cave. We know that from the inscription that goes just before the psalm. There were two occasions when David was in a cave, once in Adullam and once in Engendai. Both of these occasions, David is running for his life. King Saul, who was jealous of David, was looking to kill David if he possibly could. And so David had to flee for his life. And he finds himself in a cave. Whether it's at Engadai or whether it's at Adullam is beyond the scope of what we want to talk about today. He's in this dark, damp, dreary environment, and he looks around himself, and he says in verse 4, I looked at my right hand, and I want you to see there's no one that acknowledges me. In other words, he looks around and he says, there's nobody to help me. And then he makes that statement, no one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. We'll talk more about that word in just a moment, the soul. In just a few moments, we'll talk more about that word. But that's the cry of a lot of people today that are in your lives, that are in my life. People that are right there next to us and right there close to us, and they're asking that very question, does anybody care about my life? Is anybody concerned for my life? As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you after 10 months of a pandemic and all of the lockdowns and people being shut away from one another, there's a lot of folks today that are sitting at home. Maybe they're watching the service or maybe they ventured out and they came to the service, but they're wondering after sitting in their homes, does anybody even know who I am? Does anybody even care who I am? We have become so disconnected from one another, they've begun to wonder, is my life important to anyone? Does it matter to anybody? Or are we like the psalmist David when he said, no man cared for my soul? This is a psalm of lament. He's pouring out his heart to God. He knows that God cares. And that's the one to whom he turns in this psalm because he knows that God will ultimately have to be his refuge and God will ultimately have to be his deliverer because there is no one else near him. There is no one else at his right hand. There is no one else in his life at this moment that he feels that cares about his life. No man cared. No man cared for my soul. You know, there's three thoughts I want to give you as you think about this with me for a few minutes today. And the first is that we have to have a consciousness of people's greatest need. We have to have a consciousness of people's greatest need. You know, when you read that little phrase, no man cared for my soul, you can emphasize different words and come to an understanding of what he says. So we're going to emphasize those last two words, no man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. You realize that when you see this word soul, it's a Hebrew word that literally refers to every aspect of life, every part of a person's life. And nobody cares about my life. Nobody cares what's happening in my life. But beyond that, we need to understand that the soul refers to both the immaterial and to the material. 
In the Old Testament, we're viewed as people who have both an immaterial part and a material part. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a what? A living soul. He had an immaterial part, and he had a material part that made up this this composite whole of who he was. And when David cries out these words, no one cares for my soul, he's saying, nobody cares about my life. Nobody cares about what happens to me. Nobody cares about whether I live or die. Nobody's coming to my aid. Nobody's standing beside me. Nobody's looking out after me. Nobody's coming to help me. And both the immaterial part and the material part of David are aching at this moment. We know that it's not just physical life that he's concerned about. A little bit later in verse 7, he says, bring my soul out of prison. Bring my soul out of prison. He's not talking just about bringing my life out of this cave. This prison that he's in is a prison of discouragement and a prison of depression. It's a prison of loneliness. I'm by myself. Does anybody care about my soul, my material part, my body, my immaterial part, that part that makes me who I am? Does anybody care about the composite whole of who I am? The New Testament takes the word soul and breaks it down even further. The New Testament says that we're both a body, that's the material part, and we are a soul and a spirit, spirit, that's the immaterial part. We are a body, soul, and spirit. With our body, we relate to other people. We're we're others conscious. With our soul, we are self-conscious. It's our mind, our will, and our our emotions. With our spirit, we are God-conscious. And our spirit is, is dead in trespasses and sin and has to be made alive for us to recognize and have communion with the God of heaven. But we're a body, soul, and spirit. We're a material part, and we're an immaterial part. Now, it's important that we care about the material part of mankind. It's important that we care about people's physical health. It's important that we are concerned that people have food in their stomachs and they have clothes on their backs, that they have a warm coat in the winter, that they have a place to sleep at night. It's important that we care about the material part of mankind, but we have to care about more than just the material part. We have to care about the immaterial part of man, the soul in the spirit. That part of you that makes you who you are, that part of you that departs from the material aspect of your life when you die, that part that goes into eternity, into either heaven or hell, we have to care not only about the physical, material man, we have to care about the spiritual, immaterial man. No man cared for my soul. You realize that you can be sick physically, but be healthy in your soul and in your spirit. And you can be sick in your soul and your spirit and be healthy in your body. Such that when you talk about the material part and the immaterial part, if you have to choose between one or the other, which is the most important? The most important is the immaterial part. The soul and the spirit of an individual. Paul bears that out in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For all of you that have just made New Year's resolutions about exercise, please hear me. For bodily exercise profits a little. It means for a little time, for a short time. For bodily exercise 
profits for a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Even Paul recognized between the material and the immaterial part of man, between the body and the soul and the spirit, the most important part is the attention that we pay to the spiritual aspect of people's lives, to the soul and the spirit of individuals. Does anybody care? Does anybody care? We care about their physical part. We care about their material part. Does anybody care about the immaterial part, about the soul and the spirit? Does anybody care? You, you do realize something that's very important that you never want to forget. John chapter 5, verse 29 says that everybody will live in a physical body in eternity. Everybody will live in a physical body in eternity. Everybody will live in a physical body in eternity. You say, how is that? Jesus said in John 5, 29, there's a resurrection to life. And he says there's a resurrection to what? To death. There's a thousand, at least a thousand, a thousand and seven years between those two resurrections. But everybody comes out of the grave ultimately those of us who are believers in Jesus come out of the grave at the rapture of the church. We're given a brand new glorified body like the body of Jesus that's inhabited by our soul and spirit that's been with God. But even the lost, those that don't know Jesus Christ, ultimately are resurrected from the graves and they're given an immortal body, a body that will live on and on and on forever and forever. Did you realize that? I want you to turn with me for a moment, if you will, to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. And I want you to listen to it. I want you to hear what happens at the last great white throne judgment on those and for those and to those who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have turned their backs on Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was none, there was, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, I saw the dead, small and great. How do, they, how do you see the dead? They've been raised in that second resurrection. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now listen, here's this resurrection I'm talking about, this resurrection to death. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death, death, that's the grave. That's this place, this temporary place of holding for the body. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades, this, the, these people who've been resurrected from the dead, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Are you conscious of that? Are you conscious of the family members that you love so dearly, conscious of your friends that you've known for years and years, conscious of the fact of those that you work with and you live amongst in your neighborhoods, those that are in the networks of your life, people that you know, are you conscious of the fact that they're both a material part and an immaterial part? They're both a body and a soul and a spirit, and that ultimately they're going to live forever in a 
physical body, whether in the resurrection to life because they believed in Jesus or the resurrection to death because they disbelieved Jesus. Everybody lives somewhere forever. Everybody lives forever in that physical body. You want to get a little feel of what that will be like for those who are a part of the resurrection of death? Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 16, and listen to a story that Jesus tells about the afterlife. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Remember what I said? You can be doing well physically and be sick spiritually. But there was a certain beggar, verse 20, named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You remember what Revelation 20 says? Hades gives up its dead. Here's Hades before it's given up its dead. And where is this man, this rich man? He's in Hades. Notice verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame for I am tormented. Even in this intermediate body, out of the material body, soul and spirit in an intermediate body waiting the final resurrection when they'll have that immortal body that'll suffer forever and forever. He says, nevertheless, I am tormented and in this, I'm in tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Do you realize that the people in hell today understand the significance of the proclamation of the gospel? People in hell today are begging for us to realize and have a consciousness of the Reality of people's material and immaterial being, of their body, their soul, and their spirit, that there's two resurrections, the resurrection to life and the resurrection to death. Notice what he says, I beg you, verse 27, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And the fact of the matter is, one rose from the dead. And his name was Jesus. The psalmist said, no man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. My soul, my soul, yes, my physical life. We should care about people's physical lives. But people are more than just a body. People are a body, soul, and spirit. People are a material part, and they're an immaterial part. And ultimately, 
Ultimately, everybody is resurrected from the grave and lives forever in a body that cannot be destroyed, either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God. Are we conscious of that fact? When's the last time you laid your head on your pillow at night and you thought about your children or your grandchildren or your parents or your brothers and sisters? or your dearest of friends with whom you grew up, or the people who live next door or across the street from you, or that work in the cubicle just right next to you, or the office down the hallway. And you looked at them and you remembered that they're a material and immaterial part. Does anybody, do I care about their soul? I'd certainly take them food if they were hungry. I'd certainly give them a coat. If they needed something to keep them warm, I'd certainly provide them clothes if their house got burned out so they'd have something to wear. I'd put shoes on their feet if I knew that they needed shoes. What have we done for the immaterial part of those in our lives? There's got to be a consciousness of people's greatest need, and their greatest need is not their physical condition. Their greatest need is concerning their spiritual condition. Whether they're right with God or not, I know a lot of people think, well, if we're religious, that's enough. But do you realize that religious people go to hell too? People are going to hell from the the seats of our churches all across America and for that matter, all across the world. They're going to church on Sunday morning, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. There's been no change in their lives. They have no relationship to God through his son and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're just going through the motions of a religiosity and they think they're okay until they die. And they realize that they awaken like that rich man in the torments of hell in that intermediate body waiting for that final body at the resurrection of the dead to be cast into the lake of fire forever and forever and forever and forever. Are we conscious of the reality of what's going on in people's souls? This past political season, we've been brutal. Some of us have been brutal. We've been beating up the very people who need to know Jesus. Did you ever stop to think about the immaterial part of that man or that woman that you disagreed with? Did you ever stop to think about the soul and the spirit of that person? Did you ever stop to think about that resurrection to death that they'll have to face? Did you ever stop to think about their eternal destiny before you said some of the things that you said and you did some of the things that you did? Fifteen years before Gandhi's death, he wrote, I must tell you in all humility that Hinduism, as I know it, entirely satisfies my soul and fills my whole being. But just before his death, these are the words that Gandhi wrote. My days are numbered. I am not likely to live very long, perhaps a year or a little more. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the slow of despond. All about me is darkness I am praying for light. In those final moments of those people that we're so angry with, we're so bitter at, who don't understand our Christ, who don't understand our Bible, and don't understand the truth that guides us, 
when they close their eyes in those final moments, all they see is the darkness that awaits them ahead in the fires of an eternal hell. More important than saving America is bringing people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing the church does. More important than just clothing the body and putting coats on cold people and shoes on feet and food in their bellies is being concerned for the immaterial part, the soul and the spirit that will live in eternity forever and ever and at the resurrection of the dead will be in an immortal body that will pay the penalty of their sins forever. No man cared for my soul. That was both David's material and immaterial part. It was certainly his material part in that cold, damp, dark cave. But it was that immaterial part where he said, I just want to come out of this prison. I just want to get out of this prison. It wasn't the prison of the cave. It was the prison of what was going on in the immortal part of, of the immaterial part that was within him. We must have a concern. We must have a consciousness of people's greatest need. But secondly, there must be a concern for people's desperate situation. A concern for people's desperate situation. I emphasize another word. The last time it was no man cared for my soul. Now we emphasize a different word. No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. Are we concerned? Do we care? Are we interested? Do we have any interest at all in the desperate circumstances and the situations in which people are living today? We should care about people who are suffering physically, but we should care about people who are going to suffer eternally. Does your heart ache? Do you ever shed tears? When's the last time you prayed for those that were lost? Not in a general way, but in a specific way. Prayed for them by name, one person after another. I mean, after all, think about this. What is it that brought Jesus from heaven? You say it was his great love for mankind. That's right. Because he what? He cared. He cared. He cared about you, and he cared about me, and he cared about you. That's what caused him to leave the majesty and the glory of heaven. What is man that God is mindful of him or the son of man? I mean, why does God pay any attention to us? We're a speck smaller than a speck in this universe. And yet God cares. I got to thinking about how God cares, and I started looking back through some of the miracles of Jesus. He cared about the nobleman's son that was near death when he healed him. Remember, the nobleman comes to him and he begs for his son's life. Please, Jesus, will you help me? My son's about to die. And Jesus said, your son will be made well. And he goes back, and as he's making his way back, he, he, he's met by those that are coming from his house that tell him what? Your son is well. Your son has been healed. And he asks, what time did it happen? And he realizes that it's exactly the moment when Jesus says he's healed. He cared about the man in the synagogue that was possessed with an evil spirit before casting it out. He cared when he had reached out and touched the leper to heal him. And how many times do we read about the lepers that Jesus healed? He cared when he 
healed a centurion's paralyzed servant. He cared when he raised the widow's son from the dead. Can you imagine encountering a funeral procession? This widow's only son in that very common procession headed toward the burial of her only son. And Jesus stops and raises her son because he cared. He cared when he set free the two demoniacs that roamed the tombs. You remember? They did bizarre things. You say, why do people do some bizarre things like in Nashville? Because people are demon, some people are demon-possessed. They're demon-possessed, and they do bizarre things. But Jesus came and set those two demoniacs free. He cared when he raised the ruler's daughter from the dead. He cared when he healed the woman with the issue of blood. Do you remember her? She presses through the crowd. If I can just touch the hem of his garment... By faith, she reaches out, and Jesus heals that woman. He cared when he opened the eyes of the two blind men. He cared when he loosed the tongue of the man that couldn't speak. He cared when he restored a withered hand. He cared when he fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. He looked out, and he said, have them sit down. We're going to feed them. You know why he did it? Because he cared. He cared when he cured the boy plagued by a demon. He cared when he was comforted and when when he comforted Lazarus' sisters and when he raised him from the dead. And may I just finish by saying he cared when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Why did he do that? Because he cares. He cares about you and he cares about me. Where is that compassion? Where is that concern? People say, well, I'm walking with God. You're not walking with God if you're not as concerned for the lost as Jesus was. Well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Well, you're not the kind of disciple Jesus wants you to be if you're not concerned for the lost, if you don't care about people who are dying without Jesus. No man cared for my soul, not just my body, not just the material part, the immaterial part of me. No man cared. Do you realize everybody that's done great things for God were people who cared? George Whitfield, the famous evangelist, said, Oh, Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Henry Martin, who was a missionary on India's coral strands, cried out, Here, let me burn out for God. John McKenzie prayed, Oh, Lord, send me to the darkest spot on earth. Or David Brainerd, the famous American missionary to the Indians, said, I care not where I live or what hardships I go through so that I can but gain souls to Christ. While I am asleep, I dream of these things. As soon as I awake, the first thing I think of is this great work. All my desire is the conversion of sinners, and all my hope is in God. Can you imagine caring that much? We don't even care enough behind a mask to walk across the street and get to know our neighbor and introduce them to Jesus or walk down the street and stand outside and get to know a neighbor or care enough to talk to our own family member about the eternal consequences of their own sin. People wonder, does anybody care? No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. The question is, do we care? Does Lewis Memorial Baptist Church care? Do we care? whether people are saved or lost. 
Richard DeHaan is a name that some of you will recognize. If you read the Our Daily Breads that we give away, he was a part of that ministry. He was the leader of that ministry at one time. He's in heaven now, but he was the leader of that ministry at one time. And he tells the story, the true story, about a man named Mr. Klein. Mr. Klein was very discouraged and defeated, and he was convinced that his life wasn't worth living because no one cared about him. By the way, there's a lot of senior adults who feel that way. One Sunday evening, while walking past the church, he heard the words of a hymn being sung by that congregation that went like this, saved by grace alone, Jesus died for all mankind, and Jesus died for me. Well, Mr. Klein's hearing wasn't very good, and when they said the words, Jesus died for all, for all mankind, he thought they said, Jesus died for old man Klein. So he decided to stop, and he walked into that small auditorium, Richard DeHaan says. And that night, he heard a simple message of the gospel as the minister presented the good news about Jesus Christ and what Jesus had done to save sinners. Mr. Klein believed on Jesus that night, and he was saved, and he found out that somebody really does care. Do you understand? God wants to care through us. Thirdly, we have to have a commitment to people's only hope. No man cared for what? What is it? Do y'all know what it says? No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. Then come the first two words. No man cared for my soul. You say, well, we'll just have robots do it. You can't do it with robots. You got to do it with humans, people to people, person to person, seeking to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there has to be a commitment on the part of individuals, people like you and me, to care about people's souls, not just their physical part, their immaterial part, not just their body, their souls and their spirits. By the way, I know that there's a lot of people in this church that care. I know there is. This past Christmas offering, the Gifts for Jesus offering, right? You remember that? So that we can help rescue some children, we can take care of some children over the course of a 12-month period so that we can drill a well so that we can provide some other life-saving necessities of life. And we were trying to raise at least $52,500. You remember that? You remember that? How many of you remember that? Wave at me. You can't get COVID waving your hand. (laughs) Wave at me. $52,000. If we could just raise $52,000. Let me tell you something, church. There's people in here who care. We raised $86,923.84. Praise the Lord. A lot more children than we anticipated, more wells than we anticipated, more rescues than we anticipated, and all of it, all of it. Now listen, this is not just humanitarian care. All of it in the context of the gospel. Because sometimes in order to speak to the immaterial part of man, you've got to touch the material part. And meet a need. I know there's people in this church that are committed, but there needs to be a whole lot more of us, right? 
And isn't that the story of Jesus? Jesus didn't say, I hope they'll be saved. I hope somebody's going to take care of this matter. I hope that lamb that's offered, I hope that bullock that's offered is ultimately going to be acceptable to the Father. I hope, I hope, I hope. What did he do? He became the man. Took on him the flesh of humankind. He lived the sinless life that he lived. And the end result was that he was crucified. Jesus had to take on human flesh so that he could die for human sin. And he did it because he cared. And he was committed to it. You think about it. In the garden, he prayed while his while there were sweats of blood, there were drops of blood, sweating blood running down his face. If it be possible, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But he didn't turn his back and he didn't walk away in church. Lewis Memorial Baptist Church. For the last 10 months, we've walked away from the task that God gave us. We have to go back to that task. COVID or no COVID. We have to go back to that, to that task, and we have to get to it. People have died over the past 10 months while we've been protecting ourselves. People have gone into eternity. Do you realize that drug abuse is up? Child abuse is up. Suicides are up. No man cared for my soul We're so concerned about protecting ourselves, we've forgotten that we've been placed here to be witnesses of Jesus to others. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman was a famous evangelist, and he said from his study, the New Testament, he found 40 people suffering from disease who were healed by Jesus. Of this number, he said, 34 were either brought to Jesus by friends or he was taken to them. In only six cases, he says, out of the 40, did the sufferers find their way to Jesus without assistance. Next time I read through the Gospels, I'm going to check his numbers. I'm sure he's right. People have to be helped to Jesus, right? Remember the man that's paralyzed? He's got four friends. How's he going to get to Jesus in that house It's crowded with people unless his four friends pick him up and carry him to Jesus. We're going to help you with that this year, the first part of this year, these first few months of this year. Are you ready? Are you listening to me? I'm almost to the end. We're going to have the Lord's Supper because this is not the responsibility of the preacher and the staff. This is the responsibility of the entire body of Christ in this local assembly of which the Lord's Supper is symbolic. We're all a part of this body, the body of Jesus. We're going to make something available to you that will help you to begin the process of talking to people about their eternal soul. We have a little card like this. At the bottom, it has a little tear-off. Oh, that's a shame. Now I'll have to use that. (laughs) For a free ice cream at the Barbersville. Hear the word. The Barbersville, not the Huntington, not the Hurricane, not the Taze Valley, the Barbersville Dairy Queen. You take that little card, you give it to them and say, I want to give you something just because it's 2021, just because. You can tear off that bottom part, you can take it to which, bar- to which uh, Dairy Queen? 
the Barbersville Dairy Queen. The Barbersville Dairy Queen. And then you can take your phone or your iPad and you can scan that little QR code and it brings you up to a message I'd love for you to read. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to invite you to church with me. I'd like to invite you to come and hear our pastor and hear our music team. It's a little different right now because of the COVID virus, but I'd love for you to come. We've taken all the safety precautions. We've been 10 months. Nobody's come to church. There's not been an outbreak in our church congregation. We've done the right things. I want you to come to church. I want you to sit with me. Be my friend and listen to the preaching of the word of God. And then you're going to give it to them. And they're going to tear off that bottom portion. Oh, that's a shame. That's another ice cream I'm going to have to eat. (laughs) And they're going to hold on to that top portion. And they're going to go home that evening. And they're going to read that. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to do two more things. After you've given them that card, you're going to go home and you're going to put their name down and you're going to pray for them every single day, every single day. God, that man that I gave that card to, that woman that I gave it to, Lord, please touch his heart. Touch her heart. Help him or her to see their need of the gospel of Jesus. By the way, through that presentation, they can respond to us and our pastoral staff can begin interacting with them and we can begin having conversation. But the second thing you're going to do besides pray, then a few days down the road, you're going to find that person again. You're not going to give them another card. You're going to say, have you thought about coming to church with me? I've been praying for you. Just want you to know. I've been praying for you. I want you to come to church with me next Sunday. A commitment. A commitment. You say, well, surely they'll just wander in the door. That'd be a wonderful thing. But if what Dr. Wilbur Chapman says is right, of the 40 people that suffered from disease that were healed, 34 of them were helped by somebody else. Only six made their way on their own. There has to be a commitment. We have to be willing to say, I'm going to do more than just hope they get saved. I'm going to do my part to help them hear the gospel of Jesus. And we can't depend on anybody else. I can't depend on any other church to do this. I hope there are many other churches doing this, and I'm sure there are many others. But we've got to act as if we're the only church that's doing this. There was a young man that had been appointed by a mission agency to go to Africa as a missionary. The only problem was the excitement that he felt was dampened because because his sweetheart, the girl he wanted to marry, said, I won't go with you. I'm not leaving the country. He pleaded with her. He reasoned with her, but her answer just kept coming back, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to marry you. One month before the time he was to leave, he sat down and wrote her a letter hoping that she had changed her mind. And at the end of the letter, he wrote the words, if this letter has made, has, has made you miserable, just throw it away and don't answer it. But something had been happening in that young girl's heart. And she received the letter with a joyous heart. And she sat down and wrote a letter back to him about the dozens of ways that she loved him. And that she was willing now to go to the end of the world with him. She was willing. But it was raining on the day she was going to take it to the post office. And so she asked her brother, if he would take it for her in the rain. Anxiously, she waited for this young man's response, but none came. 
In time, she learned that he'd gone on without her. Years later, the family was moving from that house. She came to help. She's helping her family pack things up, and she finds her brother's coat that he was wearing on that day. And inside the pocket of his coat was the letter that she had written back to this young man. And her brother had never even mailed it. Hey, if you take this card and you put it in your Bible as a bookmarker, you're like that brother. This isn't about you. This is about opening up a simple way to begin turning ourselves back inside out to recognize this is not all about us. This is about winning people to Jesus Christ. You don't put it in your pocket and forget that you put it there. As a matter of fact, we're not going to give you more than two or three a week, and you have to ask for them. You have to ask one of the pastors to give them to you. Because we want you to realize this is, not a, this is not a fun thing to do just for having ice cream in my pocket. I'm going to cheat this time, and I'm going to take off one of these, and I'm going to get my own ice cream, and I'll just give the top portion away. If you do that, I pray that there's a pothole that you hit with your tire. I'm serious. Not about the pothole. It's time to turn ourselves inside out, folks. No man cared for my soul. The material and immaterial part of man, both are important, but the immaterial part is the most important. No man cared. There has to be a concern. There has to be people who care like Jesus cared. No man. There have to be people who take on the task and say, I'm going to get to it, and I'm going to get with it, and I'm going to start sharing the gospel message with others.